you have your uh, Bibles or a digital copy of the Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be at this morning. We're going to continue. Actually, we're going to finish up our series in Philippians. Um, we've, we've been taking a brisk walk through, and so we're going to wrap that up here this morning. Uh, but while you're turning there, um, so I've been using, in my own kind of Bible reading time in the mornings, I've been using uh, this thing called the HEAR method. If you've been in our D groups, you're probably familiar with that. Um, it, it's basically, the word HEAR is just an acronym. It stands for Highlight, Explain, Apply, and Respond. And so it's just, it's not the only way to read your Bible, but it is a way to kind of go from, if you're like me, sometimes Bible reading can just become this thing where you're like, I got to do that today, read, check it off the list. And you read without really thinking through what you're reading. Anybody else do that? Yeah, okay. So the here method is just, you know, you, you highlight some things about what you're reading. You explain it uh, in your own words. And you try to look for, for application and, and ways for you to, to respond to what you've read. It's just a way to read sort of engaged with the word. Um, but man, I got to be honest. So we've been going through, we're kind of in, in Exodus right now. We've been uh, through Genesis and our Bible reading plan, which by the way, if you want to join us, it's available on the website. You can jump right in. Uh, but there are some times where it's hard to really come up with an application for what I've just read. Okay? Especially when Luke and I were talking about this week, there's a difference between uh, descriptive parts of the Bible where they're just describing things that are going on and then prescriptive parts of the Bible where it's actually giving us things to like take and do and learn and apply. Uh, so it's really hard sometimes in those descriptive things like Genesis, Exodus, uh, to apply what I've read, right? For example, a few weeks ago, I read about the story of, of Noah, right? We all love the story of Noah. You've got, right, God tells him to build an ark. He builds an ark. There's a flood, but then there's this weird scene at the end of Noah's story. I don't know if you know it or not. You, you didn't, yeah, you didn't hear this in children's ministry. All right, we left this part out. No flannel grass of this. But there's a really weird scene at the end of Noah's life where he ends up passed out drunk and naked in a tent. And then he wakes up mad because his sons have covered him up. What do I do with that? Right, like if I'm... How do I apply that to my life, right? Um, so my point being is this, there's some times where the Bible is like, it's difficult to apply. But then there are times like this morning where like the application is so crystal clear. Like you almost, I would say you couldn't screw it up if you tried, but I've heard some bad teaching. So you probably still could screw it up if you tried. But here's, here's my point. This is Philippians chapter four, verse four is like, kind of the big idea this morning, and then we'll break it out a little more. But here's what Paul writes in verse 4 of chapter 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. All right, so when I say the application is easy, right, it's laid out. What do I do? Rejoice. Just rejoice. In what? The Lord. Okay? When should I rejoice? Always. Always. And in case you missed the first time through, Paul says it again. Again, I will say rejoice. All right, so if you get nothing else this morning, that's the takeaway for you. Right? And, and if I wasn't a preacher, then we would just like pray and shut it down right now. Like that's what we're going to do. We're going to leave here, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Okay? So if you get nothing else this morning, there's your application. There's your takeaway. Rejoice in the Lord always. All right, but 
because Paul is also a preacher. He gives us a little more uh, to work through than just that. All right. So uh, he kind of gives us, uh, he doesn't just tell us what to do, rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't just tell us when to do it, always. But he's actually going to give us some whys, like, like why rejoice in the Lord? Right? Why can we find joy in, in the Lord? Okay. And so to do that, he's going to talk through kind of two, two big themes here. All right. We're going to look at them one at a time, two big themes. Uh, and that is peace and provision. All right, peace and provision. So uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read chapter 4 of Philippians, verses 2 through 9. That'll be the first big chunk. Talk about it, and then we'll come back and read more after that. All right, so let's look at verses 2 through 9. Paul says this, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellence, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. All right, so the first big idea, right? Rejoice in the Lord who brings us peace. Okay, I said Paul kind of had two themes. The first one is peace. And he starts off here and it, it feels like, it, it, it's weird how Paul starts this. Right? He starts by addressing a couple of women in the church there, having a little bit of conflict. Okay? And, and so it seems like it doesn't fit. Like Paul's writing this letter to the church in Philippi and all of a sudden he's like telling these two women, hey, cut it out. Right? <laughs> and it doesn't feel like it fits until you look at the bigger context because Paul, in these few verses, his, the point he's driving home is, is that God is a God of peace, that he gives peace, that God's people should be marked by peace. Right? So he addresses these two women who are in conflict because their conflict is the absence of peace. peace right? This is the, the thread that kind of runs through this whole, this whole um, section here. Right? He, he goes on in verse... Uh, you jump down to verse 5, and he talks about, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. My Bible, uh, I don't know if yours has this footnote, but it says another translation for that word reasonableness is gentleness. Okay? In fact, most scholars that I read this week, most theologians, people that are smarter than me, uh, they agree that gentleness might have even been a, a better translation in this uh, in context. Right? Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Right? And, and the point here is that... Uh, that gentleness exists where there is peace. Right? Most of us don't respond in gentleness whenever like, our, our lives are marked by turmoil and conflict and tension, right? Okay, case study, my home. I don't always respond with gentleness because sometimes my home is not a place of peace and tranquility because I have four young children. They don't always get along, okay? 
The point being that right, this theme of peace continues throughout these few verses because Paul's encouraging them, hey, let your gentleness be known to everyone because gentleness exists where peace exists. Right? Let your gentleness be known to everyone. And, and this is a side note, right? It says, he says, let your gentleness be, or your reasonableness be known to who? Everyone. Do you know what the, the original Greek word is there for everyone? Do you know what it means? Everyone. Right? Which means, let your gentleness be known to people who may not be like you. Right? That, I just, that's just free. That's not even like part of really my notes. It's just as you go about your week this week and you interact with people, whether in person or online, maybe they disagree with you, you can still let your gentleness be known to everyone. All right? Moving on, though. He goes on and he says this in verse 6. He, he tells the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything. All right? He, he addresses this whole idea of anxiety. All right? He calls them, hey, don't be anxious. And the reason he says don't be anxious is because peace and anxiety cannot exist in the same spaces at the same time. Right? Like by its very definition, anxiety is an absence of peace. Right? Now, now don't, don't hear more than what I'm saying. Right? If, you, I mean, if you wrestle with anxiety, I'm not saying that you are a like, lesser than or you're a JV Christian. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that in those moments of, of anxiety or anxiousness, by definition, like, you're not experiencing peace, right? So what Paul is saying here is he's, he's just driving this whole idea of, of peace home, right? So where do we turn to then for peace? Well, he answers that in the second half of verse 6, right? He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? The, what Paul's telling them to is, is peace. He's calling them to peace. And he's saying, if you want to experience peace, at least in any lasting, enduring way, it's going to be found in a person. Right? Submit your anxieties. Submit your restlessness and your tension. Submit those things to the Lord. Or, or who he calls uh, the God of peace later on in verse 9. Right, so here's, here's kind of, let me see if I can apply this a little bit. Right? I, might be an overgeneralization, but I don't know too many people that don't want to experience peace. Right? Unless you watched the Tennessee football game last night, which I'm not sure they were really interested in peace at that point. Um, but anyways, right, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't want to experience peace. Right? You, Moms, dads, husbands, wives, we want peaceful homes. And all the parents said, amen. amen. Okay? We, business owners would much rather operate and do business like in an economy that's peaceful, right? not one that's marked by turmoil and unrest. Right? Uh, governments, they, they perform their, their duties. They enact justice and uh, introduce laws and legislations, and even go to war, as contradictory as it sounds, in order to promote peace. Right? Ministerially, I would much rather pastor and work in a church where there is peace. And thankfully, this is one of those churches, so thank you all for that. All right? Give yourselves a pat on the back. Okay? 
My point is like, we, we all want to experience peace. All right, we long for it. But the reason I think it feels so elusive to us sometimes is because we look for it in places that are never really meant to supply us with any sort of lasting peace. All right, things like, uh, if my bank account had X amount of dollars in it, then I would be at peace. Right? Or if my retirement account got to this certain level, then I would be at peace. Right? If my kids would stop doing this and start doing this, then I would be at peace. Right? If, uh, I mean, we could go on and on and on. Right? If, if I looked this way or had uh, this certain body type or this amount was on the scales when I stepped on it, then I would be at peace. If this relational tension that I feel with a coworker or a friend or a family member, if it was gone, then I would experience peace. And all those things are true. You might experience some sense of peace when you achieve whatever that is. Right? But the problem is all those things are fleeting. Right? Because it's, it's not long until that thing that you, like, if I get here then I'll experience peace. It's not long until like that benchmark gets pushed on down the road, right? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I got enough money in my account now, but when I get a little more, then I'll, then I'll really have peace, right? I and mean, we could take all those in that direction because the problem is our, if we look to our situations and our circumstances for peace, like those are always changing, right? Life happens, your situations and your circumstances are constantly changing. And so to look for something that's just like fluctuating and changing and like to put your peace in something like that is to just set yourself up for a life marked by anxiety. With, to set yourself up for a life that you just don't experience a lot of peace. Because peace is not found in situations, circumstances. Right? Peace is found in a person. Right, the, the God of peace, as Paul says in verse 9. Because while our situations and our circumstances change and fluctuate, guess who doesn't? The God of peace. He was the same yesterday. He's the same today. He'll be the same tomorrow. And 10,000 years from now, he'll be just the same. So you want to find peace, right? you got to put your peace in someone that can actually provide you with a little bit of peace, right? But then he goes on, not only does he su supply us with, with peace, he supplies us with peace that says surpasses all understanding, right? Now, now maybe you're like, okay, pushing all my chips in here. I don't know if I can use that analogy in church, but I did, all right? You say, I'm, I'm, I'm all in, all right, God is going to be my source of peace, but then in the back of your mind, there's still, but I've still got bills that I can't pay, right? I've, I've still got, um, I mean, my, my home is, my family life is still a mess, right? I'm, I'm looking to God as my source of peace, but I've still got all this junk, right, that, that I can't really sort out on my own. How am I really going to experience peace in that? And here's the answer. I don't know. And I think that's kind of Paul's point, right? This is the peace of God surpasses all understanding, which means it doesn't make sense. You put your, 
you look to God as your source of peace and comfort and stability. And even when all those other things still exist, right, all those things are still on the table, God still supplies peace that surpasses all understanding. Which means like, there's going to be moments where you're not going to be able to wrap your mind around how can I experience peace in this? And yet the God of peace supplies peace. It surpasses all understanding. Right? So, here's, it isn't always understandable. It doesn't always make rational or logical sense to us as to, to how, how that can, can exist at all times. But just because it isn't understandable, just because uh, it, it doesn't make sense, doesn't mean that it's any less real. Right? That you can look to the Lord, the God of peace, and he will give you peace, even in the midst of, especially in the midst of, whatever your season of unrest looks like. Because he is a God of peace. Right? I'm, I'm just, I'm convinced that the creator of the universe, like if he, he spoke the world into existence, he can speak peace into your life in those places where it doesn't feel like there should be any peace. Right? That's, that's kind of what he does. Like he's, he's, God always does things in ways that don't always make sense to us. Right? I mean, just look at the Bible. God got a guy's attention by having him swallowed by a fish. That's kind of what he does. Like it doesn't make sense. Right? Jesus told people they couldn't be dead anymore. That defies all logical rationality, right? The man who wrote this letter was a persecutor of the church. And yet God says, that's who I'm going to use to preach the gospel, to start churches, to write two-thirds of the New Testament. God constantly is working in ways that, that surpass our understanding. So man, don't think that God can't supply peace where it feels like there can't be any peace. That's what he does. Right? That's what he does, but he does more than that. All right? So we rejoice in the Lord who brings us peace, but we also rejoice in the Lord who meets our needs. So let's jump down to verse 10. Read verses 10 through 20. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God, circle this verse, because this is where we're coming back to, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Rejoice in the Lord who meets our needs. 
here's where Paul starts here. Right? He, he starts verse 10 and he starts kind of recounting uh, how it was the Philippian church that entered into partnership with him. Right? Ministry, ministry takes money, it takes funding. And so as Paul was traveling around, planting churches, preaching the gospel, one of the churches that helped meet his needs and supply his needs was the church of Philippi. And we talked about that way back in chapter 1. That's kind of how he begins the letter. He thanks them for their, their partnership. Right? But they were able to supply Paul's needs because God first supplied their needs. Right? I say we were going to come back to verse 19. Right? That's, everything kind of works backwards from verse 19 where Paul writes, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. The, the God of the Bible supplies us with what we need so that we can supply others, support others. Right? That's, that's the case here in this letter. Right? God supplied the needs of the Philippians. The Philippians were then able to supply for Paul as he's going and preaching the gospel. And, right? and, and this is true. This is true of us too. Right? God supplies our needs. That's what he does. He's the provider. Right? He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the, the author writes. Right? There's, God supplies our needs. Now, a couple implications from that. Right? The, the first is this. Paul says that, that God will supply our needs, not our wants. Those are different. Right? I'm teaching my kids right now the difference between needs and wants. They think they need whatever the new gaming system is. It's like a, a thousand bucks. I'm like, let's have a lesson in needs versus wants. Okay? <laughs> right? And, and we, we, like, it's fun, to, it's fun to be, you know, I don't want to say mean to the kids in that, but um, the reality is, like, we face the same thing. Right? Sometimes, like, we... Let's be honest, we live in the most prosperous nation in the history of the world. I mean, we have like stuff at our, uh, like stuff at our disposal that, that most of the world has never or will never have. Right? We've, we've received everything that we could ever need and more. And so part of that, part of the danger in living in the most prosperous nation in the, in the world that has ever existed is sometimes... Uh, that line between needs and wants gets a little blurry. Right? Like sometimes for us, needs kind of gets equated to the American dream. Right? And, and Paul, is, he, he doesn't say that, that God will supply everything that you'd ever wanted or desired. Or, right? That's not what he's saying here. He's like, God will supply your needs. Right? Not that God will supply you with... Uh, the 3,000 square foot house and uh, the, uh, the, the, the late model vehicle. And I mean, praise God if you got those things, right? I mean, I believe that God is the giver of every good gift and every perfect gift. So like, I'm not shaming you if you got those things. Like, man, go get it, right? Make whatever, make as much money as you can. But what I think the Bible would call us to is that we're to live like with open-handed generosity. Because as Paul says, it's God that supplies our needs, and the Philippians in turn supplied for the needs of Paul in the same way as God, and as God fills our pockets with things that we don't deserve, it's all meant for us to, to leverage that for the advance of the gospel, the advance of 
of the good news of Jesus Christ. So, man, don't feel guilty about living in the greatest, the, mo- the most prosperous nation that, that the world has ever known. Like, if we believe Acts 17, 26, that God has determined the, the time periods and the boundary places of our dwelling, like, God put us here. It's not by accident that you live where you live. But God has put you here and he's, he's given to you. He supplied your needs so that you might be a blessing to others. Right, so that you might promote the advance of the gospel. And so, so as God supplies your needs, my encouragement to you, my plea for you, is just that you would, and that you would live with open-handed generosity. Right, give to the advance of the gospel. Give to the ministry of the church. Love your neighbor and meet their needs where you're able to. Right, I think that's what the God of the Bible would call us to. And then the other thing I want to point out about this one verse is this. Andrew and I were talking about this week. It says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. That's amazing. Because what that means is that God meets needs a little differently than I meet needs. Okay? So to explain, um, Larkin household, we have four young children. Um, we're, We're doing fine. Thank you. You support us. You give to us. We're doing okay. But also... By the fact that I have a lot of kids, I don't have a lot of discretionary income, right? I mean, my kids got to have clothes, got to have food. Have you bought groceries for kids these days? You know, okay? So, and I've got a house full of boys who just like to eat. So, anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Where I'm going is this, is that when I go to meet a need or if I have the opportunity to meet a need, like, I've got to give something up to meet that need. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna give somebody uh, if I'm gonna supply for a need in this way, like I've got to give something up back here. Like I don't get to do that. You know who doesn't have that problem? God, because He supplies our needs according to His riches in glory. Right, and or in the same way, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna meet somebody's need that's presented in front of me, like that by definition means I can't meet another need. You know who doesn't have that problem? God. Because he supplies our needs according to his riches and glory. Here's the deal. Your heavenly father has deep pockets. Right? So, so here's, here's the reason I bring that up. And you, you don't have to... Sometimes there's a tendency to look at God blessing other people and we get frustrated by that. Right, because like, well, they're blessing them. What about me? And here's this reminder: like, hey, God's not running out anytime soon. So we're freed up to rejoice with others as God supplies for others, because God, God doesn't have to uh, turn His back on us just to meet the needs of someone else. So we can rejoice in God meeting their needs, and we can rejoice in the reality that God still has what it takes to meet our needs and supply for our needs. We rejoice in the Lord who meets our needs. All right? He sustains us according to his riches and glory. All right, so here's, here's where I want to land this morning. A right? couple, of, couple of questions for you. All right, the first one is this. In what area of your life do you need to experience peace this morning? All right, maybe it's 
I mean, I, I don't want to fill in the blank for you, like, but just, just for you. Maybe it's in your, your home, your family. Maybe it's at your, your workplace. Maybe it's, excuse me, has something to do with your finances. Um, maybe it's not any of those things. It's just something completely different. Like, where do you need to experience the peace of God that, that, as Paul says, surpasses all understanding? Where do you need to experience that this morning? Or maybe... Maybe you're not experiencing the peace of God because you've never been reconciled to the God of peace. Maybe, maybe the reason that you're, you're constantly trying to find peace is because you've never actually trusted in the one who supplies it. Because right? your, your biggest need this morning, your biggest, uh, the peace that you need more than any other peace is the peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So if you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus, Paul, you were what Paul would call in the previous chapter an enemy of the cross. It's just a place I don't think you want to be. Enemy of the cross. But the good news of the gospel is that, is that God loves, welcomes, saves even his enemies. Right, so that those of us who were far off, those of us who were hostile, those of us who were rebellious, that God still willingly sent his only son. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, he didn't wait for us to get our act cleaned up. While we were still enemies, he sent his son to die on the cross to pay the price for all of our sins. So if you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus as Savior, that's where peace starts. You'll never really experience peace when you're separated from the God of peace. Right, so if you've never trusted in Jesus this morning and you want to experience peace, that's the first step. Right? But for the rest of us, where do you need to experience peace this morning? And the second question is this. In what area of your life, in what area of your life do you have a need? Right, if we rejoice in the Lord who meets our needs, what area of your life like, do you have a need? I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's some big, huge, weighty, massive need, and you can bring that to the Lord, but maybe it's just something small and insignificant. The good news is God loves you and cares for you. And so whatever your need is, whether it's some big, massive thing, or maybe it's just some little footnote, God cares. And, and according to the Gospel of Matthew and the, the Lord's Prayer, um, God knows what we need before we ask. Right? But he still invites us to ask. And so maybe you have a need this morning. Maybe your response this morning is just to ask the Lord to meet this need in your life. Right? Because that's, that's what he does. And, and God forbid that we be a people who have not because we ask not. Right? So you can bring your need to him this morning. Maybe your greatest need is peace. Perfect. Ask. Right? That's what God does. He supplies. And we can ask in confidence without wavering because he's able to supply those needs according to his riches and glory. Right? Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you this morning and uh, we are just grateful that you are a God of 
peace. And so I, just to pray in, in accordance with kind of our response points this morning, uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would, you would bring peace in this room where there needs to be peace. Um, Father, we're, so people scatter all over this room with their own lives and their own tensions and their own situations and circumstances and I just pray that that you would bring peace into those where there's an, an absence of peace. I pray that they would look up and away from temporary fleeting things as a source of peace but that they would find peace in you or that you would enter into those spaces where there's tension and strife and anxiety and I pray that you would enter in Lord, and, and just by your presence, there would be peace in those areas. And then, Father, I, there are needs in this room. There are, there are tangible needs. There are physical needs. There are financial needs. There are spiritual needs. So, Lord, I pray that you would, you would, again, just meet the needs here. And we trust that you're able to do that because as your word says, you're able to meet and supply for our needs according to your riches and glory. You are not running out anytime soon. You are not stingy. And so we ask that you would meet our needs this morning. Father, we love you. We pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.